Radio for the Agile Community. www.agile.fm Welcome to Agile FM, another episode, and today I'm here with Deborah hartman Uh She's an, um, an Agile coach, an invisible coach, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. But before we get started, welcome to the podcast, Deb. And my first question is, do happy people do better work? Hi, Joe. Hi. I, I like that question. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, you know, my gut answer is, well, heck, I do. <laughs> But the research also shows us that um, happy, satisfied people who are engaged and loving their work are more creative, and and they they collaborate better. They create stuff that matters. Right. Um, you also refer to a lot of uh, your writing and, and blogging to joy and being you know joyful and having joy at work. So happy is maybe a, a very broad term, but um, I wanna. Uh, talk a little bit about people coming to your side, and there are some really big goals on your side. Um, for example, changing the workplace, raising children, healing the planet. Uh, yeah. the, these are things why people um, approach you. These are big goals. Uh, what do they have in common, and how can you help these people? You know what's cool is what they have in common is that whoever brings me their big goal, for them, it's perfect. And so I don't have to solve all of these things myself. What I try to do is to create an invitation that lets people come and let me collaborate with them on their goal, which may be to create amazing children mm -hmm. or heal a disease. Mm -hmm. But what's in common is that people are amazing and people can do much bigger things than we've been told we can do. And I... I live to give people just the encouragement and the, the invitation to, to be bigger. Mm -hmm. Your, your site, um, that's what I was just referring to, where people come and, and would see your coaching um, advice and your help, um, is a bigger game. Um, but the bigger game is uh, .me, so it's a bigger guy.me. Uh, very important mm -hmm. to point out. Uh, what is the bigger game? Hmm. bigger game is the one that makes your heart sing. It's the one that you can't not think about. It's the one that some people say, when I retire, I will dot, dot, dot. And I think life is just so exciting that we should start with the big game now. It's not safe. It's not always comfortable. But it's exciting. And it's joyful. You're saying, you're not saying we should get oil retire now. You're saying do something you would do if you're retiring right now. Yeah, I have um, a colleague who um, came up with this great thing, which is like work as if you won the lottery. Mm -hmm. People are waiting till they're retired because they feel that there's less risk then. I want to work with people now to shift those risks and reduce those risks so they can live like they won the lottery today. But isn't there also a risk in 
accepting that risk? I mean, are you how risky can you be when you're 50 years old, you're in the corporate world, you have uh, 10, 15 years to retirement? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you play it safe? Well, it's a question of which, which risks you want to accept. There are other risks that we don't talk about that we think of as quite normal, like um, risk of heart attack, risk of mental illness, mm -hmm. um, depression, um, risk of broken relationships. There are people who are, quote-unquote, playing it safe in the corporate world, and what they're putting in play, what they're risking, is at home. And really, all of that is one picture. Each person is just one picture, one person. There is nothing. This fiction of work-life balance is a crock. Because it all lives inside one person who holds all those realities together. And if one part is bleeding and the other part is succeeding, it's not a balance. And if both parts are just okay, it's not a good balance. I agree. Very good. Very good. We talked about in the beginning when we uh, came into uh, this podcast, uh, Deb, uh, I said you're the invisible coach. Um, and there is there's something to it because you uh, have a very interesting, um, let's call it, uh, maybe you have a better term for that, business model. Uh, but you, you do actually um, phone coaching or long-distance coaching uh, in, in, uh, to complement your in-person coaching you do with um, agile teams or with agile coaches. Mm -hmm. um, what is um, that kind of coaching style and how do we have to picture that, uh, your, daily, uh, your daily routine, if there, is such, <laughs> if, there, if there is such thing? I'm looking down. I am wearing a bathrobe, I admit it, and I'm proud of it. Um, when I was working with teams, I was seeing pain that I didn't know how to help with as an agilist as a person from the IT domain. So I looked for training on how to work with teams and how to, I discovered coaching. Mm -hmm. And trained with Newfield Network on working with organizations. And at the same time, because I, I wanted it all, I trained with Coactive, um, the Coaches Training Institute, mm -hmm. um, to be a, a life coach. Because those two things seem so complementary and so, yet so different to me. And the coactive model um, encourages using the phone as one mode. And in Canada, of course, I was living in Toronto at the time, um, everything is pretty far away. So we're used to using the phone um, where I come from. And um, so it's a, a way of coaching that um, where I'm very active in terms of um, soliciting what I need to understand what's happening to my client. It's also very intimate. Um, and this is where I discovered, like, I thought I wanted to learn to coach teams better. And what I, where I really shone was in coaching individuals in this really intimate, supportive setting mm -hmm. where, like, right now, I've got my Bluetooth headset on and you are right in my ear and I can hear you breathing, which I can't when you're across the table from me. So I've lost the visual, but I've gained some other things. And together with my intuition, it creates a lovely way to work that feels very private mm. and safe. So the phone coaching is actually, um, you prefer even without video. It would be just audio. Mm -hmm. Even when my husband and I were courting across an ocean, 
we would try using video, and some I can remember one quote-unquote date we had where we went through three different video clients trying to find one that would work for us, and the, the lag and the interruptions, were, we just said, forget it, and we went back to voice only <laughs> because it felt the flow was there, the closeness was there. Mm. Oh, and this, this podcast is audio only, and uh, a lot of listeners uh, take it with them. It's much easier than actually watching a video or watching somebody. So maybe people have different kind of impressions right now of how does Deb look like. I mean, they can go to the website at agile.fm and, and take a look at the picture, but it's not the same. Hmm. Uh, still, right, um, than, than we actually discuss here. Um, so is this like on a, so this, this one-to-one conversation you're having uh, with people, is this in, uh, to complement uh, in-person coaching or do you have some of your clients actually just do the, um, the phone coaching? How, does, how do you... It's culturally different in different countries. Okay. I'm finding, and, and I typically will gain my clients through, they've somewhere heard me or talked to me or met me. So there's already a connection somewhere, which is the main reason that I do things like um, in two weeks I'll be in the U.S. for Agile Coach Camp U.S. in Indianapolis. Mm. And one of the reasons I'm going there is just to be with people so they see who I am and I can meet them and I can spot if there's somebody that I would like to make an offer to because I, I give away my first session free mm-hmm. because you don't know whether you like coaching until you try it. And you especially don't know whether you like even a particular coach until you see how you interact. Mm-hmm. And so there is a, an in-person aspect to my practice. But there are people that I have you know, made an offer to on Twitter, DM them, say, you know, sounds like you could use some support on that. Can I help? And our first conversation is you know, from Indonesia to Germany on mm-hmm. the phone. Yeah. That's um, that's a very interesting thing. Does that does that work on? A, I mean, obviously you're cutting out a lot of uh, travel time. Um, you're you're available ad hoc. Um, are you doing this um, hourly coaching, or is, would that be? Uh, um, what would be the frequency um, of these kind of things, and how far out do you schedule things, or is this totally um, ad hoc and based on various customers? So that was something I had to figure out at the beginning because different coaches are using different models. Um, I did work for, I don't know, six months or ten months on um, an hourly basis, so with a a price for an hour. Mm -hmm. And what I found was that that motivates people to call less, whereas for me, I get my value out of seeing them grow, so I want them to call more. So Mm -hmm. we had a conflict of interest there. Now I'm encouraging people, if they're motivated enough to call me three, four times a month, I make them a package. I'll give them a month for the price of two hours. And I'll say, you know, book up to five a month. Book what you need when you need it. And they come to me. So I have an online booking system where they come and they, they find what matches. If mm-hmm. they can't find something that matches their schedule, then, you know, we do a little deal on the side to, to make something fit. But it's very, it's important to me that this be pulled, that those people pull my coaching when they need it. Mm-hmm. Which means we need to have some kind of a, that that's another reason for this initial session is to talk about how, how urgent is it, what time do you have to invest, what energy do you have to invest in this right now to see if it's a fit because doing this kind of coaching once a month, the results can be kind of meh. Mm. Because there, there's coaching seems to happen in the phone call, but where coaching really happens is when they get off the phone 
and now they take into life the, the aha experience that they've had mm-hmm. or the question or the, the puzzle that they're dealing with. They take it into life and then they come back and tell me what happened when they lived with that awareness for a week or two weeks. So there's some energy they need to put in. So we talk about that up front and try to come to some kind of a package that works for their energy and their cash and you know, my needs as a coach. Obviously, but typically, yeah. I'm, typically I'm selling, you know, monthly coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love it when people will call me every week. Right. I mean, that really shows the, the, a, the interest, but also the willingness to, to improve and, uh, and to learn even more, right? I, I think this is a, a wonderful example of how modern technology is as, uh, a global workplace plus agile development where we do believe in these uh, short uh, inspect and adapt, adapt cycles uh, actually work very, very well together. Um, exactly. Deb, you have an IT background, actually, if you, if you look way back, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, recently, obviously, all these things we just discussed is more on facilitation. Um, you, I don't know if that's the right term you would use, but I feel like there's a, um, you're leaning towards a democratic workplace kind of things, joy mm-hmm. uh, at work. Uh, why does that appeal so much to you, coming from that background, and uh, what keeps you going? Hmm. Obviously, you're I pushing boundaries. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got into IT because I liked to see the client's eyes light up when I could provide a better solution than what he had. And I think my compassion for the people in IT is that so many of us love to do that, to deliver something that makes somebody happy. I think we're a people, as a, as a population, the people in IT are people who have an awareness of wanting to be happier mm-hmm. and wanting to help other people be happy. Sometimes we've forgotten about that. And you're right, happiness and joy are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think joy, you know, joy exists in tears as well. Like joy is, is a different animal. But, um, yeah, um, I just really have seen some good teamwork in that domain when I was working as a software developer. And um, I've, I've experienced wonderful working relationships mm. where work felt like play, where work felt like a good, hard, challenging game. Mm. And I would like more people to have that because when you're happy at work, you're happy at home, and that's sort of my hidden agenda, right? Mm. People don't invite me into their dinner tables to make their family or families happier. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But but if I can get them at work and invite them to be happier, invite them to to not just settle for okay, but to really go for the joy, mm-hmm. I know that that will go back with them to when they're reading the bedtime story to their child, mm. or you know, on the weekend at the dinner table. Yeah, Do you, um, you 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 mentioned uh, in b- before that one of the, the things you're focusing on when you actually make in-person appearances, I guess that would be hard to do on the phone, is that you're using open space as a facilitation technique. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see growing interest in that? If we had to measure uh, that kind of you know democratic workplace, you're using techniques like an open space. Do you see a growth? In this area, or um, how do how, how would you assess the market out there for that, mm. or the appetite for that kind of uh, technique? I mean, I'm using it myself, but I see two things happening simultaneously, and I guess it's you know it's the 
the more adoption curve, right? Open space has been in use for 20 years, 20, 25 years. Um, perhaps more so in North America than here where I am in Germany. Um, and I'm seeing that it's becoming better known. Bar camps are making it better known. Some bar camps are using pure, like a classic open space approach. Some are using an adapted open space approach. Some are just borrowing from it. Um, so I'm seeing it become more widely known by various names, and people encounter it and go, oh yeah, I want more of this. The other thing that's happening is as it's becoming more widely known, it's also starting to become cargo culted. So we're starting to see open space but which the people in the Agile world will recognize that phrase. It, yeah. it looks like open space, but it feels somehow different. And um, I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned that there's something really essentially human about open space, just like there is something essentially human about the patterns in Scrum, and that people keep contact with that underlying um, support of complexity, which requires that we draw some boundaries and, and, and hold back mm -hmm. and make space for that complexity. That's why we call it holding space. So mm -hmm. I've been teaching about that lately, doing some more holding space myself. I'm excited about doing that in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. So uh, with that technique, and uh, uh, let, let's say open space is being introduced to a company and um, you do a lot of coaching in person, phone, we discussed earlier, we're aiming for some joy. How would you, how would you respond to a person? I just want to take like a little bit of an example here, yeah. uh, who would argue that um, introducing joy into a marketplace has been in an organization maybe let's just X Y C uh, for the last three years. Um, they have tried, um, but really it, it didn't really make a big difference to them. Mm -hmm. um, is this connected to money, bonus, job titles? I mean, how would you? Um, maybe that's an approach many organizations take. What's, what would be your approach? Like a, a company who is interested in it, but have also tried through their, let's say, HR mm -hmm. department and so forth uh, to introduce concepts like this, but have failed. I typically start with a retrospective. So I go in and I say, so tell me. Tell me what's happening. Tell me what's worked. And and find the two things. One is the pain point and help to, to make that visible. The other thing is to find the goal because the goal is not joy. That's my you know, subversive world-changing goal, but a business exists to create something in the world. Some businesses exist to create happy employees and happy customers. And whatever they're doing has to be in the service of that. So help them connect with that, um, where they're going, what they're making in the world, what they want to be in the world, and connect with the pain. And then we design something. Mm -hmm. I have a bunch of workshops in my pocket. You know, see if one of those workshops fits. Maybe what I need is to help teach a skill, like powerful questions. Or maybe they're just stuck. Being stuck feels awful, but it's really not so hard to get out of. Mm -hmm. And I pull, you know, the Fearless Journey game out of my pocket and say, you know, you can download this for free and use it. Or, you know, I can come in and, and show you guys how to use it. Um, I don't do classic Agile coaching anymore. Um, there are people doing a great job of that. It's not what my passion burns for. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my passion is to see the light go on in people's eyes and have them say, ah, I can be alive here. Mm-hmm. And then they'll figure out the rest because if they have agile methods to work with, if they're doing inspect and adapt, they will emerge whatever they need mm-hmm. to get that joy themselves. I want to go in and, and remind them that it's possible. And then my niche is to support the change agents. Being the change agent means that you're out ahead looking for joy when other people are still worried about you know, competing or, or making a bonus or whatever silly rules they have. Mm-hmm. It can be lonely to be the change agent who's out in front. And so supporting that person oh, yeah, so that okay. they can continue to hold space in their organization to let joy be a possibility. Yeah, you can be very lonely, absolutely. That's a, um, that's a, that's a great point. And, um, and also thanks for clarifying the, um, the Agile connection and, and the kind of coaching you, you provide mm-hmm. because you work uh, also with the change, a- change agents actually uh, one-on-one. So it's not you're working actually always with the Agile teams. Um, um, you actually work with uh, change agents or executives, leaders who, who are interested in these kind of changes. Supporting a change agent may mean that I come in and facilitate something for them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, but I'm not doing, I mean, I have done scrum training. I've co-taught with Michigan in Canada and mm-hmm. Joe in the States. And so scrum and agile, I love it. I, I think it's doing great things to the workplace. I leave it to other people, and I'm coming along as a support. So, for great. example, a great place to bring me in is you have a tricky retrospective coming up, and you feel you need, you're part of the system. You need to be in the re- retrospective. So to support a change agent, I could, could come in, run that, and disappear so that they can really be in there and, and engage as part of the complex system rather than standing outside as the facilitator. Right. Well, awesome. Here's, I have somebody here on the phone who actually um, is originally from the North, um, uh, North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you moved to Germany. Um, Europe, let's, let's just call it Europe, here in the, in the center of Europe. Um, what kind of differences do you um, do you see when you work? And you actually do travel to the U.S. quite a bit. Um, yeah. Are there any kind of differences you see in workplace and techniques being used, um, coaching in general? Mm. Any, anything you uh, feel like worth mentioning here? I did see a tendency in some places to apply agile, what I call sort of small agile, which is go fix my team. So perhaps less of this awareness of the whole organization as a system, um, but sort of fixing Agile inside an org chart. I felt that more here in southwestern Germany. This has been a hub. There's been Agile's been here, XP's been here a long time. Mm-hmm. And yet this awareness of um, Agile as a potential catalyst for um, growing the organization for growing responsibility, for growing collaboration. I, it was missing when I arrived. So when I arrived here in 2009, I felt like I'd gone back in time about three years yeah. from coming from Canada. Um, I'm aware that it is happening in pockets all over Germany as well because I'm in touch with We travel around a lot here. I mean, I'm, I'm in all kinds of cities all the time um, and not just in Germany. I can't wait to get to the Netherlands in October. Mm-hmm. Um, but... That's one difference is sort of doing agile in the small is sort of a, an anti-pattern that, I, that I'm interested in busting here. Mm-hmm. And something that I was nicely surprised with here was I came in to facilitate um, when I was doing some agile. I did do some agile coaching here at the beginning, and I came in with my you know, team exercises. And you know, I had the feeling people were sort of scratching their heads going, why are we doing this? 
it took me a while to realize that in America, sometimes the cowboy ethic is stronger and we need to actually build teams. And we get here and the Germans are like, heck, teams, we get teams. Let's go. We're ready to work as a team. <laughs> they love teamwork, and they call it, you know, the land of Vereins, the land of associations. There's a club and an association for everything because these people really get teamwork. Mm-hmm. So it's it's challenging coming in as a foreigner, as a you know this outsider to coach people. The beauty of the coaching stance is I don't come in and say, okay, here's what you need to be, here's what you need to do. I come mm-hmm. in and say, what do you want to accomplish? And where's the pain? How shall we? What do we do next? Mm-hmm. How how is your how is your German uh, in the past five years? Are you doing these kind of techniques in German or in English? Nee, tu ich auch in Deutsch. In Deutsch, okay. Langsamer, slower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And every once in a while, somebody will sort of you know that look when when the dog turns his head sideways, like what did she just say? Mm. <laughs> But it, it's functional. Um, I'm coaching, of course, in English and French. Those are my two native languages. And um, and in German, I sometimes just have to throw English words in. But I tell you, the English of German speakers is awesome. Mm-hmm. They have very high standards for their own German language, and they hold themselves to high standards for English. Yeah, but so, there's also there's also a piece of coaching to it. To uh, when you when you do coach in a different country, to uh, show with some language skills that you're opening up to. Uh, to these people, right? Um, so speaking a little bit, at least, uh, the language as a coach might help. Mm-hmm. I, I started out, uh, I had, a I don't know, 18 months or something um, when I was with a, an, or an international organization, but I was the, the German coach. I was a coach in a German city. And uh, from the beginning to the end, I definitely made, by the, you know, by the end, I was coaching retrospectives in German. I didn't always get all the details at that point. But then you, you learn to be humble, too. I mean, that's the thing about being an immigrant, is you learn to say, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> As a Canadian, the I'm sorry part came really easily. <laughs> learning to say, I didn't understand that, was, you know, that's part of the immigrant experience, is just to be transparent. And people, Germans are very helpful. Mm. For that, I'm thankful. Oh, you didn't get that? Great, let me help you out with that. Yeah, and then, yeah perfect. So, um... This, this is really interesting talking to you. You made a transition from North America to uh, uh, Europe, a calls, mm-hmm. calls Ruhr in particular. Um, mm-hmm. As we said, this is a little bit of a hub of agility in, in Germany and maybe Europe. I made the transition from uh, Germany to, uh, to North America. Mm-hmm. Um, origi- yeah, originally, I'm actually from your hometown. A little yeah. fun fact here, Calls Ruhr, my hometown, and uh, still my soccer team. Um, so uh, I just want to send uh, a big, big hello to Karlsruhe here, and uh, and I want to thank you, Deb, for a wonderful, wonderful podcast. I hope the listeners enjoyed um, this episode, and uh, for everyone interested in continuing the dialogue here with Deb, is uh, a bigger gay. Dot me a bigger game. Uh, that's the website how people can reach you. Uh, Twitter handle, Deb. Is Deborah with two H's at the end, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-H. And something that's easier to remember than a bigger game is agileambulance.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Deb. And uh, I'll see you hopefully soon. Thank you, Joe. I'll go open the window and shout your, your greetings to my city now. Okay, thank you. In, auf Deutsch, auf Deutsch. <laughs> auf Deutsch, of course. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. 
Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon. Thank you.